I want you to open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. If you're watching from home, if you have sermon notes, if you're online, you can download it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse, verse 21. Today, we're going to pick up on the same topic that we started a couple of weeks ago, and it's called Taking Charge of Your Family's Gumbo. Say that with me, please. Come on. Taking Charge of Your Family's Gumbo. I want you to imagine a pot in the middle of your kitchen, and I want you on one side and your spouse on the other side and the kids on the other side of the pot, on both sides of the pot. And this is the this this pot has gumbo in it, and it is a picture of your relationship. I use the term gumbo because I, it's, it's a mixture, and family is a tru truly a mixture: personalities, attitudes, dispositions, and it tastes like a gumbo. The question is, how does your family gumbo taste? How good is your family's gumbo? Is it is it something that you both enjoy? You think this is really great. I enjoy being here. I enjoy coming home. It's a wonderful place. Or is it a place that you struggle with? Is it a place that you look at and you go, man, I just, I don't know if I like this place or not. And what's interesting when it's a husband and a wife and they're getting into strife and they're always in tension, many times they forget it's the gumbo. It's not me, it's not you, it's the gumbo. It's the relationship we cooked up together. We have too much salt, too much pepper, too much hot sauce, too much temperament, too much anger, too much of something in here. This is what makes it taste this way. Now I want you to hear what I'm saying. This is so important because we blame each other all the time. But understand, the gumbo we cook as a family, the relationship we develop as a family, we all have to drink it. We all have to taste it. Sometimes you can take the same analogy, though, and broaden it beyond your family. If you have a business and you're the boss, all the employees drink from the same gumbo. What kind of gumbo has your job cooked up? When you go there, does it taste good? Or do you go, man, this place tastes terrible? And you have to really understand that can change from supervisor to supervisor, from, from shift to shift, night, morning shift, night shift, evening shift, can all have different tasting gumbo. The real, the real trick is to try to get the gumbo to be consistent and to try to get something everybody enjoys. But if you are gumbo, if the relationships you're in, your friendships, I mean, and some of you can say, Pastor Rick, it's not just, it's not my job, it's my friendships. Sisters and brothers, can develop a gumbo relationship, and it's tense. It's always full of spicy, uh, unflavorable uh, aromas, and you just sit there and try to endure it. But what you really fail to see is this can be fixed if we fix the gumbo. Sometimes to fix the gumbo, what you do is you put a little water in it, thin it out a little bit, and spread it out the flavors. That helps. But there are times when the gumbo doesn't work. This flavoring approach does not work. You have to pour out that gumbo, wash out the pot, and start over. You have to start over. Sometimes you have to say, this is not the way it works. And it can frustrate you because you, you, you like your flavoring. And you tend to think it's their fault. It's always their fault. If a church doesn't taste good, people just don't like it. You got to change the flavor. You got to change it out. You got to change things. And sometimes when you put, I say, put the water in first, sometimes that means spend more time with the person. That means listen. That means stop being angry. That means you have to pause and back up a little bit, and that's hard when you like the salt. You like the flavor. You believe you're right. And that is what can make this impossible to fix because your view is this gumbo is his fault or, my, or, 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 is, or is her fault or the kid's fault. But the sad tragedy is everybody in the house struggles. Now, this sermon, by the way, I'm going to teach today, is going to help a lot of people. If you go to the end of your sermon notes, there's a book I'm recommending to you. Uh, some people like to know what I'm reading. My book recommendation is a book called The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller. 
And um, this sermon and this book, I think, does a very important thing. It's good for married people, single people, and kids who want to understand why their parents don't get along. That's what I'm going to show you today. Whether you're single or married or you're a kid trying to figure out why are mom and dad always struggling? Why, they, why is there always tension in this house? What is it? I'm going to tell you what it is. It's the gumbo. It's the flavoring they've cooked together, and it's this stuff. And you can order that book, get it online, however you want to buy it. I don't have it in the bookstore yet because I just ran across it about a week ago. But it is phenomenal. I really love it. It has helped me in my marriage. It's helped me see things differently. And you'll see how later on in our study. But let me show you, if I can, uh, two big points today. And the, the basic message today has to do with how to make a good family gumbo. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. How to make a good family gumbo. Next week, I'm going to show you how to make a bad one. So this week is how to make a good one. And there are seven, seven ingredients. And, and there are two that we call main divisions when you're preaching in a sermon. And one of them, the first big thing I want you to remember is I want you to cook with the right ingredients. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Cook with the right ingredients. So how do you make a good gumbo? You cook with the right ingredients. Secondly, you've got to cook with the right approach. Say that with me, please. Come on. Cook with the right approach. The approach to cooking is crucial. If you come with the wrong approach, you get the wrong results. And that's the issue for some people. It's the approach you have. And you know, you can see this in a family. You can see everybody gets divorced, everybody gets separated, everybody gets pregnant, everybody before, everybody, everybody. I mean, it's like a tradition. That's because of the way they approach love and relationships. It's the way they approach life. Everybody's broke. Everybody has a broke down car. Everybody has a broke down house. Everybody has a broke down relationship. Everybody, 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 everybody. Nobody, everybody drops out of college. Everybody goes to college, but they all drop out. Here's why. Because of their approach. You change the family's approach, you change the results. And, and this is not to put anybody down or mock anybody. This is just to say, why do we keep having the same results from generation to generation? As a matter of fact, it's getting worse. And it's because of our approach. If you keep losing job after job after job after job after job, they always fire you. They always get mad with you. You always fall out with everybody you work with. It's your approach. It's not, stop blaming the job. If it's us not, every friendship ends up in trouble. You owe everybody money. Why? It's your approach. If you get money, pay off all the debt, and then you get back in debt, and you pay off all the debt, and you get back in debt, Here, here's what it is. What is it called? The what? Approach. It's your approach to life. Come on, join me. It's the what? It's your approach. And maybe if you change your approach, you know, you're well and you're sick and you're well and you're sick, you lose the weight, you gain the weight, lose the weight. It's your approach. It's your, so you've got to change your approach. You've you got to change your approach. You, you, you go to from one church and the church loves you for a few years and then they, then they get mad and they fire you and then you go to another church and they fire you. You've you got five churches as a pastor. Is it your approach to pastoring? Is it the way you lead people, engage people? You go from church to church to church to church to church. Pastor's wonderful. Like right now, I'm wonderful. Then in a few months, I'm going to be on your bad list like the last pastor. That's why you scare me when you come to me about, my, you come to me about your last church. I'm so glad you're not, not like my last church. I said, what were they like? Because <laughs> I get nervous because I know eventually I'll cross your line. I won't shout enough, say enough, preach long enough, tone up enough. I don't know what I might not do. At some point, you'll get tired. And it's your approach to jobs, to family, to friends, to life. There's something about understanding that that could be the issue. So let's talk, first of all, about the cooking with the right ingredients. There's seven ingredients in Matthew chapter, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 20, 33 that are in crucial. I'm going to read them for you. Now, this is, now, let me tell you what this is, okay? 
This is written for husbands and wives, and it's said by a man named Paul, who is single, by the way. Paul is single. Catch this. Paul wrote more about married life than anybody in the New Testament. Now, I believe Paul was married. He knew too much. He knew too much. I mean, I just, I, his insights are phenomenal. He's a Pharisee. Most Pharisees were married. I don't know whether his wife died. I don't, I don't know. I'm guessing. I don't know. I'll, I'll find out when I get to heaven. But this is a guy with great insight. But he's a single guy giving married people advice. Think about that. And here's what he, here, here's what he does. He does. He says, let me give you the seven things that would be the right ingredients for a marriage to work, to make the gumbo work. Now, here's a test for you if you're single, by the way. When you read these ingredients, do not marry anybody that does not have these ingredients. And I want you to listen. You'll see how it all fits together in a minute. First of all, repeat them with me, please. Let's say all seven together. Say reverence, reverence. Support, support, leadership, leadership. Submission, submission, love, love. encouraging words, encouraging good treatment. Those are the seven things you put in the pot. Those are the seven ingredients that lead to a good gumbo, a good family gumbo. A good marital relationship. So if your marriage is not where it needs to be, some of these ingredients are probably missing. There's, there's not enough, there's too much of one and not enough of another. For example, for some marriages, the big issue for the man is submission. So you got a ton of that in the pot. You're always talking about that, but not enough love. It's always amazing how people pick their favorite ingredient. And they drop a lot of that in the pot. They know those Bible verses backwards and forwards. They know Ephesians 5.22, which in, the, in King James says, wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands. They know that verse, but they don't know verse 21, submit to one another. So they have a lot of their verse 22 in, in, the, in the pot, but no verse 21. Are you with me? So there's something about learning how to put the right amount of ingredients in the pot and negotiating the amounts prior to marriage prior to fixing a gumbo, prior to being a friend. There are certain things you just have to establish. And I think that's one of the reasons why we end up in strife with people. You know, you have a friend and you start a relationship and they start borrowing your money. And you say, you know, I don't, I don't like that in my gumbo. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't, we don't want to start cooking that way. Hey, how are you? Loan me $50. Loan me $500. Loan me, loan me, loan me, loan me. See, eventually that makes the pot taste bad to me. And then you don't want to pay back, and then, and, you know, I, I just don't like to start like that. I like to have friends who work, praise God. <laughs> That's just me. I just, I just believe it. That's just me. Because it starts tasting bad. Some, and some people get an attitude when you, you check them on that. You know, and you check them on stuff. Now, I don't like that either. If I can't check you on stuff, if, you know, we're someplace and something ain't right, if, you know, then we, this, is going, this, this, this relationship is going to start tasting bad to me. Maybe not to you, because this is the way you do all your friends. You break everybody in by asking for $500. I understand. That's how you start off everything. But with me, this is going to taste bad from the start. So you have to establish with people, this is how I relate. In love and kindness, you let people know. And sometimes we can't cook together. And that's what happens in some relationships. But if you put the right ingredients in there, you can change. You can fix things. I'm not against loaning money to friends. I'm not, I'm not against helping people. I'm just simply making an observation. That you know and I know that in some relationships there's too much of that in this gumbo. And that's why I feel bad going by their house or talking to them. Or when they call, I think they're going to drop some more of that in this gumbo. Come on, am I right about it? Are you with me? Amen. Now, look, look with me if you would, please. And, and, and this is a sidebar that came to my mind. And kids, you know, I know parents are supposed to help, but don't let that be the essence of your relationship. 
Don't only call when you need something. Can I say, can you say amen to that? Can, can you at least call and say, how you doing? How, you know, until you need some money, praise God. All right, enough of that. Leave that on the table. All right, off the table. Let me give you these ingredients real quick. Look at verse 21. The first thing he says is, uh, out of respect, and this is in the, in, the mes- in the message version of the Bible, so it, it reads a little bit different than King James. Here's what it says in the message Bible. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously what? Reverent to one another. And in, in, in the King James, it says, be submitted to one another. But notice, I love the way he words it here. It says, courteous and reverent. Sometimes if you put reverence into, into this whole relationship pot, it feels better. I feel as if there's mutual respect, mutual submission, mutual, mutual concern. It, there's a, I love the word courteous. It, it's, it's, a, it's a mutual, courteously, courteously founded relationship. It's not just about what I think or what I want. And it's not about control. The second thing you need is a sense of support in the gumbo. And I, I want you to notice what he does now. He says, for wives, here's what you should put in, and husbands, here's what you should put in. Now, the benefit is, this is what's going to happen. If you put the right ingredients in, then when the other family members taste it, they can tell it's okay. So kids, pay attention. If your family doesn't taste good, if it's always full of tension, if there's always stuff going on, and everybody's always fighting, they have the wrong ingredients. There's not enough of this. Mama's not putting her part in. Daddy's not putting his part. Somebody's missing some of the ingredients. So listen to what he tells wives to put in to the family gumbo. Wives, understand and support your husbands. Notice that idea of submission is understand and support. It's about support in ways that show you support your support for Christ. Wives, understand and support your husband in ways that show you support your support for Christ. So he says, I want, you to, I want you to be supportive. I want you to give off that atmosphere. This whole idea of um, support is really, really important. Because for men, that's an important value. I need to feel you support me. That doesn't mean you agree with everything I say, but there needs to be a feeling of support. Thirdly, there needs to be leadership. So he tells the wives, show support, put that in the pot. And then he tells, he tells the husbands, provide leadership. Say that with me, please, come on. Provide leadership. Now watch this now. To his wife, the way, the way Christ does to his church. And not by domineering, but by cherishing. So he turns to the husband and says, look, here's what you put in the pot. Leadership. But you, put, you can't lead just any kind of way. There's a way you lead. There's a way you engage. You have to lead in a way that's not domineering and, and, and you know, you're all in control and and, and you got to be really careful that you don't think that that's leadership. I mean, that's true anywhere. You know, the, the next word that, that turns again and says something that's so profound. He says, you need to put submission in the pot, verse 24, just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. So he starts off saying in verse, verse 21, I want everybody to revere everybody. I want them to be, be courteous Courteous reverence between everybody in the family, husbands and wives. Then he says, okay, wives, I want you to support your husbands. Put that in the pot. Men, I want you to lead. I want you to be the leaders in the family. That doesn't mean that somebody else is not qualified. It just means that's what he's supposed to be doing. And if he's not doing that, it's not going to taste right. Then he says to the women, your job in verse 24 is to submit to him, 
like Christ does, like you do to Christ. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Now, let me tell you why I believe God told men, women to submit to their husbands. Because he knows that you, we, you can't, we can't make you. <laughs> it doesn't work. I've been married for 34 years, on 35 years. I'm telling you, it doesn't work. You won't do what I say. Watch out, boy. Don't sleep with one eye open, man. You better watch yourself. But he says, if you want this to work, it has to work. It, you know, and some of you say, oh, that's what's wrong with my family. Some of the kids go, oh, because mama sure ain't submitted. I know daddy and daddy don't lead, man. Mama leads. That's why this gumbo tastes this way. That's why it's not, it's not balanced. And here's the question. Well, Pastor Rick, here's what, what some women would say. I could submit if he was smarter than me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like you don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> See, I want you to understand, you, you, can, you can decide. I'm not putting that in this gumbo. He's going to have to show me a few things before I do that. Well, here, look, everybody has a role. Guys, you got to lead like Christ. Okay? You got to lead with the same sensitivity and support and care, and I'll show you that in a minute. And, and ladies, you've got you've to do this. If you don't do this, here's what will happen. You will not have a Christian marriage. You, can, you, will, you will have yours, and you'll have your gumbo, and it's going to taste like it tastes, but it's not what the Bible says. It's what you created. And, that's what, and so whatever happens with it, you know, enjoy. Because this is your gumbo. Because you say your house, your children, your life, okay, it's yours. But if you, if you think about what he's saying to do, it really can help make a difference. So he says, number one, put some reverence in there, put some support in there, put leadership in the pot, put submission in the pot, and put, here's the big one for the guys, love in the pot. Notice he goes back and forth between husbands and wives. I'll tell you, this guy's real smart. This is what he says, verse 25. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives. Exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not by getting. One of the things that you're going to see in a minute that is this is this is one of the biggest things that changes everything. Guys, here's what they said. He said, women will be different if you love them like Christ loves the church. And he loves imperfect people. Here's what I think is interesting. Loving a person that you see who looks good. And women are really good at this, guys. They dress up and they look they can really knock you off, knock you out. Physically, you look at because you're motivated by sight and they know that. Here's what they tell each other. Ladies, close your ears. When they, when they see a girl, she's trying to get a guy. Here's what they tell her. Read a book, honey. Show how smart you are. You'll get him. That's how you get him. You read a book to him, right? No. Girl, fix your hair. You need to fix yourself up. He needs to see you, okay? And when he sees you, he's going to say, all right. You notice they have makeovers for women. They don't have makeovers for men. <laughs> men don't care. You understand what I'm saying to you? You know that most of the time. I mean, they kind of care, but you know, we don't, you know, we let it go on. You know, we don't, you know, a woman knows the deal. And look, let, let some, let some, you know, when some, some um, woman comes to the office, to the job, and she one of those women, you know, she does her hair like that and it's in place, all her toes are straight. Y'all just hate her, right? Mm-hmm. We know the deal. You know, when you look at her, you go, mm, look at her. Everything perfect. But she ain't all that. You know, you, 
women are, this whole issue about looks is really important. It's really important. I'm not putting it down. I mean, it's really important. But, but understand, that's not, that's not a basis for love. Because when you, once you're gonna, what's going to happen is once you get to know them, you know, the hair does get messed up. You know, you know everybody's breath is rough in the morning. Once you, get, <laughs> once you get to the other side, and you get to the other side pretty fast. I mean, after the wedding night, you wake up and go, oh, Jesus, oh, Lord. Okay, good morning. Hallelujah. That's not like you looked less today at the wedding. <laughs> and all of that, all of that requires love. Love. Loving them, going all out for them. And that's not just buying stuff, by the way. Buying stuff is nice. Getting a house, car, whatever, it's nice. But, you know, that's, it's more than that. It's embracing, here at this point, the essence of who they are. The insecurities, the fears, the good, the bad. It's embracing the essence of who they are. That's how God deals with you. Look at it again. Husbands, go all out for your wives, for, for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. In this culture, it's all about getting, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. Number six, encouraging words. There's a bonus verse in, in Proverbs 14 that says, you know, and, you, and you'll see it at the bottom of your notes. I, and if you, if you turn the page over, I'm going to show you the bonus verse I put down here for you. Verse 1, Proverbs 14, 1. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears, tears hers down. Whoever fears the Lord walks uprightly, but those who despise him are, are devious in their ways. A fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. You know, you can destroy your own house. You can make it hard for yourself. You can say things and you may get it off your chest and feel good, but I'm telling you right now, there is a profound thing that can happen when you put encouraging words in the pot. Number six. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed. Everything he does and says, one more time. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. That's the way you should be. That's the way guys should be. That's the way you ought to be. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. Verse 28, and that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They, they're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. You do yourself a favor when you put encouraging words in there. You got to be really careful what you study your wife because some things are hard to erase. And the truth, same is true for women. You can tear your words down. You can tear your family down. You know, the benefit, you know, Diane and I aren't perfect, and we've got, we've got, we've got you know, mountains we've had to climb, but some things we've just never said to each other, and I'm glad we didn't. And some things we stopped saying because it really helped us. What's in the pot? Out of 10 conversations are nine positive. Every time he gets off work, you got a list of things for him to do, right? You're always laying out demands and requirements. It's just like out of 10 conversations, nine or something's not right. You need to do this. We don't have this. We don't have that. I mean, it's just, gee whiz. At some point, at, at, and this is, this is biological. It's got nothing to do with the person being mean. You train people how to view you. Mentally, when they see you coming, 
they see, they, that's what they think. If every time you see me, I ask you for $5, what will you start calling me? $5. Here come $5. Hey, man, you know, I'm trying to get me $5 for lunch, man. You know, he said, brother, every day, you know, I loaned you five the first day, but now every day you come up, anybody know people like that? Every time during lunchtime, they're looking for you, and you're running from them. And you train people. You train people. If I, if, if, when you go to church, this is why people watch this. When you ask people to come to church, what's the first thing they ask you? How long is it going to be? What time we, what time we get out? Because <laughs> churches have trained people that you don't know when they're going to get out. I tell you, I'm preaching 30 minutes. I got eight minutes to go. I'm going to be done. You say, hallelujah. Don't be clapping. All right. Now. Don't be clapping. I don't like that now. I'm gonna, all right. <laughs> Start clapping, though. Jesus. Shoot. <laughs> but see, I, I've trained you. You know, we start on time. We have a countdown clock. I, had a, I instituted that. No, countdown clock. Start on time because I want you to know we're getting out of here. You don't know when you're going to church. Sometimes you fall asleep and wake up when you're still there and you can't believe it. I got to get out of there. I got to go. <laughs> Here's the last one. Good treatment. Verse 29, chapter 5 of Ephesians. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us. That's how he treats us. That's how we got to treat each other. Good treatment. Let me give you what I can as I close. The right approach. Cook with the right ingredients those seven things, and cook with the right approach. Number one, approach with the right definition of relationship. Now, that's what this book that I just mentioned to you is going to be a real blessing to you because that's what he talks about. It, it, it's really important that you define marriage. In this culture, we define it incorrectly. We approach marriage with the wrong expectations. So here's the right, here's the right approach. Approach it with the right definition of relationship. And approach it with the right expectation. Are you a meistic person? It's all about you. Here's one of the things that, he, that Keller argues in his book, which I thought was phenomenal. He said, this culture has changed. In the 18 and 1900s, marriage was not about me. It was about society and how to make society better. You had children so that you can raise children who, who would uh, contribute to society. It was, it was, more of a, of a, it was um, way more than you. Because earlier in the history of the world, you didn't get to choose your mate like you do now. Families kind of got together and kind of, okay, yeah, this person. Sometimes it was for financial reasons. Families, you'd marry. So it, it was never just as meistic. But after the 19th century, it became very meistic. I want you for me. I want you to make me happy. And when I choose you, I choose people that can make me happy. And the moment you stop, I leave. It's all about me. Everything is measured. I don't feel the way I used to feel about you. Man, what's that got to do with it? You don't divorce your kids because of that reason. When they get, look, if that was the case, when they turn to middle school, a whole bunch of them be kicked out. Some teenage years, you'd be gone. Some of you wouldn't come back until you're 25. From 13, you start losing. Everybody seems crazy but you. But notice how in, in the area of your children, you feel one way. In the area of relationship or marriage, you feel another way. Because your approach is different. It's how you approach relationships. If you have these expectations, they're supposed to always be romantic and always supposed to be fun. You know, it, it was so funny. Uh, Chris Rock said, you know, he said, do you want to be married and uh, do you want to be single and uh, alone 
or do you want to be married and bored? That's how he viewed it. It was amazing. They, they howled and laughed. So those are the only two choices? Is that, is, that what, is that what we expect? Is that, and a lot of people don't believe it. And a lot of people think that if, okay, if, I, if I can just get somebody, you know, move in with them, live with them, and that's a whole other study because, you know, studies say you last about six years if you live together, and that these relationships, you're, you're more prone to get a divorce if you live together before you get married. It's amazing. I didn't write the stats. I'm just reporting them to you. Look it up yourself. Google it. Find it. It's amazing. It's amazing how what the world says, they even, they even tell you now that, most married people aren't happy. 60% of married people are happy in marriage. 60%. Now, and other, the other ones who are not happy, if they hang in there in five years, they get happy. A very small percentage of people, 10%, or so, a very small percentage, really, really, really unhappy. And it's really, a lot of that's because of the approach. You came in expecting this person to be Superman, Superwoman, super lover. You watch too much TV. People, people I watch this, this thing was on TV the other day, and this lady was saying, hi there. And she was advertising something I ain't going to talk about. You might need to get this. This will help your love life. And she was talking, and she was just flirting her eyes. I said, no, women don't act like that. That's not the truth. That's, that's on TV. You get somebody to think you can get somebody like that, you're going to be surprised when she start cussing. You're going to be shocked. That is not how people talk. That's not how he acts like that. Don't, act, don't, don't get all food. You watch The Bachelor and he's like The Bachelor. You stop all that. They're lying to you. All those people, anyway, enough said. All right. <laughs> Come on, say the right definition. Come on. Right definition. The right expectation. Right expectation. And here you go, the right approach to differences. Come on, say that with me, please. Come on. If you cook with the right approach to differences, we're going to have them. 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 We're not going to all approach things the same way. And that's, that's okay. We, we disagree. Diane and I disagree all the time, and she's wrong and I'm right, but I know that the... That the, that the <laughs> Some of you say, yeah, you need to listen to the sermon yourself. It's the approach. You know, don't, don't get bent when we, we, we have a difference of opinion. That's, that's part of life. And then lastly... Approach with the right approach to disappointment. Approach with the right approach to disappointment. When you disappoint me, look at me for a second. When you disappoint me, how do I manage that? And how do I manage my own disappointment of myself? When I fail, when I'm not where I should be, when I make a misstep, what do I do? Let me tell you something. This is where you look at the gumbo, right? Wrong approach, pour the gumbo out, wash the pot. Let's start again. And let's really start again. Everything's on the table. Nothing hidden. Everything's honest. It's amazing what takes place when you do that. But if you don't do that, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Bad gumbo. Now, I'm going to give you something to look at, and I'm going to let you read this on your own. This is called your, your study ahead. Ready? Next, next week's study ahead. Bottom, last thing in the notes. Galatians 5, 15. That's where I'm going to start next week. And I'm going to show you how to cook a bad gumbo. And I'm telling you right now, when I see these things that I'm seeing in these families, a lot of the things that the kids are having to deal with and taste, I'm saying, this is because of the flesh. And I'm going to talk about that next week. And I want you to understand, a lot of times, all of us have cooked bad gumbo. All of us have. The temples have. All of us have had to pour the pot out. All of us have. I'm not perfect. We've all made mistakes. 
but I want you to hear me. There's some mistakes you don't have to make. There's some paths you don't have to stay on. There's some roads you can change. There's some things you can do. And so I hope I helped you. Are you ready for next week? Say amen if you. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a big hand if I helped you. Amen. Father God, I thank you for the time with your people today. I thank you for these 30 minutes of this discussion. I pray that it's helped and lifted the minds of your people. I pray that they would be open, open to reviewing the family gumbo. Got to empty this out. This is toxic. This is unhealthy. This is poisonous. And it kills the children. <laughs> this kills the children. It makes them want to be someplace else. Makes them want to leave home earlier than they should. Makes them not want to visit home when they come back. Because the gumbo tastes so bad. Just going by on a Sunday after church can be just horrible. Everything tastes bad. A simple call on the telephone. They get a mouthful of gumbo and salt, hot sauce. They try not to gag and try to choke it down. They get tired of these cuss words. They get tired of being lied to. They get tired of being second and third. They get tired of that. Lord, this gumbo's got to change. We got to put some better ingredients together. This job's got to change. My employees have got to change. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name you touch those here and those who are home today who hear this message and those who are even on demand touch them now lift these hands lift your hands high would you father touch and deliver today i believe people are being touched right now healed right now delivered right now decisions are being made courageous choices are being made people that aren't exercising are going to say i need to exercise this 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 habit is bad i'm hurting too much where I spend money, the way I live my life. There's not honoring God first. Just my whole life is out of alignment. I'm not in alignment. So, Father, let there be a change today. Forgiveness needs to happen. Washing out of the pot. Lord, we thank you today. There's some people who hear, whose hands are raised who need to give their lives to Jesus. So I pray they do that today. They need salvation, deliverance. Some need to, Lord, say, I need to rededicate my life because I've gotten off. I have not been serving Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I know better. And some would say, Lord, I need to be a member of this church. I need to be a play in a place where I can grow. I need to be around some different cooks because I'm cooking with the wrong crew. And so I pray your blessing upon them today, and I pray your heart, you would touch them in a way that only you can do. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. I want you to look this way for a minute. I prayed a prayer, and there's a card called a Get Connected card. It's in your